Hello, I'm Dave and welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy Podcast. Today we bring you the third of three recordings from our Tragic Beginnings live event that took place at the Hackney Attic on the 17th of January. So now, here is Act 3, the last act of Tragic Beginnings. What we do at Stand Up Tragedy is we get people to stand up on stage and do tragedy. It's a variety night, basically, with a, a sad undertone or overtone quite often. Tonight is Tragic Beginnings, which is an interesting thing, really, in terms of tragedy, because tragic, tragedies have tragic endings, normally, rather than tragic beginnings. So I'm thinking that we might end up with much more happier endings, maybe, if we start sad. So we'll see how that goes. But be prepared for sadness, be prepared for happiness, be prepared for feelings and thoughts and all of those sorts of fun things to have. Okay, if everybody wants to take their seats, we'll get this uh, last and final act of Tragic Beginnings started. Okay, so, hello everybody! Excellent work. Right, so, um, the only bit of housekeeping I have for this moment in time is that you can follow us on uh, Twitter, at Stand Up For Tragedy, and you can... uh, you can find us on Facebook and become our friend. Oh, make friends with some tragedy. Um, so yeah, that's a bit of a tragic beginning for this final act, I guess. Uh, so the last two, I know we've all been waiting for this, the last two terrible things that I've said. Uh, <laughs> so this one is like something I'm deeply ashamed of, really. Uh, I, I ended up going to a six-pawn prom that wasn't my own because all my friends were in the year above me uh, and I sort of sneaked in with a guy that, who was my friend who was doing the DJing and sort of stood by the side of the DJ booth looking like a bodyguard or something uh, to, to, to excuse us being there. And then when, when the drinking started, I certainly, certainly started the drinking and got very, very drunk and decided it would be a really good idea to tell every teacher there exactly what I thought of them. And I did, and I went round all of the teachers, and it was, you know, when you're young and you're like, oh, this is exciting, oh, I'm getting to, to do this. And I told them all what I thought of them, and I was, I was, I was nice, generally speaking, to them. Uh, and then I um, spoke to a teacher called Mr. Hegarty, uh, and I told him that he was a really nice guy, but that he shouldn't be a teacher uh, because he couldn't control the class. Uh, Mr. Hegarty then burst into tears and cried for quite a long time. There we go. That's the end of that. There's, there's no redemption. I didn't, I didn't, there's, no, there's no way I can take that back. It is a tragic beginning. You can't, you can't reverse it. Um, and I guess the, the, final, the final tragic beginning turned out a little bit less tragically. Uh, when I, I first got to university, I was determined to be myself because uh, I had not been able to be myself at school. I was bullied for quite a few years in lots of different ways. Um, and so I went there militantly myself. Uh, and the first day of proper study, uh, 8.30 in the morning was when they decided to make the creative writing seminar for our group. 8.30 in the morning on a Monday. And... I'm there, and so are the other members of that that creative writing group. And they're all standing around, tired and awkward, trying to introduce themselves. I'm hunched up, 
sort of against a wall, reading The Guardian, right? In the, back in the days when The Guardian was a broadsheet. I don't read The Guardian that much anymore. I'm not too into uh, some things about that newspaper. But then I was, and I had this big Guardian, and uh, a, a girl uh, was trying to sort of... Uh, Smooth, smooth out the mood in the, in the, in the, in the group. And, and she said, oh, it's quite early in the morning, isn't it? You know, something like that. And I, uh, I moved down my guardian, looked over the top of it, looked up at her and said, well, I like to start every week with writing. And uh, <laughs> zipped that newspaper up in front of my face like a complete and utter twat. Uh, and that could have been a tragic, tragic ending and, and a tragic beginning uh, to that interaction. But uh, over the next coming months, I, I, I uh, realised that that girl was an amazing person and I'd really like to be with her. Uh, then I danced at her for a while at a nightclub <laughs> and persuaded her to give me a, her phone number because, I mean, just to get rid of me, I think. And uh, then I phoned her at like, what was it, 7.30 in the morning? I phoned her at 7.30 the next day, right? That's what you do when you get a number, isn't it? Phone someone at 7.30 the next day. Um, and, and she was so uh, confused, because I guess she'd woken up, that she agreed to go on a date with me. And uh, it's 13 years later, and we're going to be... Well, it'll be 13 years on, on Valentine's Day. Unfortunately, don't, don't pick Valentine's Day to start your birthday. You'll never get a seat at a restaurant the rest of your, the rest of your anniversaries. So, that's the last of my tragic beginnings. And uh, not such a tragic ending for that one. And I'm now going to bring on our first performer for this last act. Uh, it's behind me. Uh, Casting Call Woe is the Tumblr that you can find what she does at. She tweets at Pro Resting. And uh, you may have seen what she does uh, profiled in the Telegraph uh, just this last week coming. So put your hands together for Miss L. Hello. Thank you. So I'm just going to just untangle myself one second. There we go. Right, hello. My name is, uh, for the purposes of this evening, Miss L, which I'll explain in a minute. And I have been acting professionally for eight years now. I've been wrestling professionally for eight years now. Um, and I tweet and blog anonymously about the horrors of being an actor. Um, I do it anonymously so that I've still got a slim chance of getting work rather than absolutely no chance of getting work. And um, this is how my first, this is how my acting career began. Strong, athletic, capable of withstanding adverse weather conditions, there is a sex scene and some nudity. This is a casting call. And it's the first casting call as a very new actor that I received. Not only is it the first casting call I received, it's for a feature film. I should have been excited. I should have been nervous. I should not have been imagining myself having sex in a blizzard. <laughs> but this is how acting careers begin, casting calls. This is where it all starts. This harrowing image is where it all begins. And I've realised that, sadly, they're inevitable for an actor. You can't get away from them, like death on stage, last-minute tax returns, and the look that your friends give you when a Shakespeare question comes up at the pub quiz. <laughs> but they're not to be trusted. 
And I should have realized this on day one when I got this. When I turned up at the audition and I had to run up and down a church hall for a solid 10 minutes in just a bikini. Mm. I really should have realized that casting calls can't be trusted when at the second audition, oh yeah, they asked this back. They had 15 of us and they got us to do a three hour movement workshop where we had to pretend to be Neanderthals. I definitely should have realized that casting calls can't be trusted when about two-thirds of the way during this workshop, the bank of producers that were watching us all simultaneously reached under their chairs, removed Sainsbury's bags, took out stale loaves of bread from those bags, threw them at us, and ordered us to fight over them while they filmed us. If there is a better metaphor for the acting industry than I am yet to see it. <laughs> and I didn't get the job. So you can see why I've always been a bit skeptical about casting calls. And that skepticism has sort of turned into an obsession with finding terrible ones. So for the next few minutes, I'm just going to take you on a little journey of how awful they can be. Um, just to point out, people think that I make these up um, when I show you. If I had this level of imagination, I would be doing something far more profitable with my life, believe me. So, casting calls come in all manner of disguises. They can be awful. I'm a student, so I expect nothing from me except perhaps meals and coffee. Thanks, thanks, mate. Uh, they can be brilliant. Payment, bottle of gin, travel card, 20 quid. <laughs> Supermodels get out of bed for £10,000. That's what I get out of bed for. Uh, they can be ridiculous. Please note, the frog does not need contemporary dance skills. Shame. Or they can be downright terrifying. She has her face sawn off. Thanks very much. But who behind these casting calls? Who are the people putting these out here? Well, casting calls can give us an insight into that as well. Wanted. Actor with a car who can let the, direct, the director ride shotgun rather than take the equipment on the damn train. <laughs> what you're experiencing here is the earliest possible calling of shotgun you can do. <laughs> this is impressive work. We're working with professionals here, guys. And then, um, no pay, unfortunately, but we all get to ride in a white stretch limo with a midget and the band. <laughs> Seriously, I would. I totally would. I prefer people who want to work for food. <laughs> I prefer people who understand the concept of bills. But, as I said, this is the beginning of an acting job, the casting call. And... You don't know these people who are putting these calls out. They could be anyone. They could be murderers. They could be kidnappers. They could be Katie Hopkins. They could be absolutely anyone. And I've genuinely auditioned for people in their basements before. It's terrifying. Um, so it's really nice when people take the time to put your mind at ease, you know. So people like this. I'm seeking an impersonator who can perform as my mum when me and my mum can't meet up. Please send me a picture of yourself and also your house. 
If you want, you can wear your sexy bikini. How do you know I have a sexy bikini? Get the fuck away from me. But you become an actor for the roles. That's the exciting thing. All the different people you can play, your Lady Macbeths and your King Lears, your Leslie Nopes and your Walter Whites. That's, that's the exciting thing. And it's amazing when you can get to play roles like this. You'll be playing the role of a rubber duck. Three years of drama school. <laughs> Melissa is a futuristic nun. Of course she is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good on you, Melissa. Character, nude ghost. Uh, incidentally, if you're scared of ghosts, that works, that's what you should imagine. Works treat. And then it's the getting into character. That's the exciting thing. You know, all the things you've got to put yourself through. All that, oh, yeah. I may require to eat less than what you normally eat to perform well for the role. Oh, yeah. And this little joy. We can pay for any plastic surgery she may require for the movie. What the fuck? Lovely. But um, as an actor, you get asked the same stock questions. Uh, it's usually, when are you going to be in EastEnders? Uh, what kind of acting do you do? And have you been in anything I might have seen? Um, and it's great when you can give answers like this. Oh, no, sorry, I've gone to the wrong bit. <laughs> this is the problem with using a slideshow. <laughs> Hang on a minute, I'm professional. Uh, yeah. There we go. This has the potential to be the next Buffy, Angel, True Blood, except it's about an elf living in London. I would watch that, to be fair. Yeah? Yeah. Leaf Blower Massacre 2. 2. You know what that means, don't you? Actors need to fill a doll office. No pay. Fuck's sake. sake. But, yes, method acting, indeed. Thank, yeah, it's a wonderful thing. So just, from, just bear with me while I just have a little rewind back to where I should be. There we go. So, yeah, this is the type of thing you can get to do in these productions as well. So she uses a stick to violently stimulate herself. That's a nice little image for you there. She gets a couple of lines, a light-hearted audio scene, and then gets kicked through a window. Yay! <laughs> She's painted silver, nude, wears an elephant mask and is coated in gravy. Yay! Hi, Mum! It's brilliant, it's brilliant. But um, what I've noticed most while looking through these casting calls is the levels of sexism that is featured in them. It is quite horrific. And considering women make up half the population, we get more than that in casting calls, believe me. Um, and, you know, when you get things like this, she should be wearing an apron with maybe a floral pattern on it to underline femininity. <laughs> you prick. <laughs> Need some good skimpy outfits to show off your talents. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Bikini damsel in distress. Yes, that well-known figure that we see in all the films. But people presume that just because I'm a woman, I'm focusing on the, how females are treated. You know, they're going, well, 
Obviously, the men are having the exact same experience. Well, I give you this. Actor, full suit of armour. Actress, full nudity. <laughs> Male, comic book nerd. Female, attractive comic book nerd. <laughs> Male, fully clothed. Female, dressed in a thong, semi-naked at times, has to do audition in underwear. <laughs> lovely. Just lovely. Um... But maybe it's me that's the problem. I spend my time looking at these terrible casting calls. Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe if I was a bit more positive about things, things might be better. That's the great thing about casting calls. They can teach you where you're going wrong as well, which is pretty exciting. Um, So I'm just going to leave you with this one final casting call. There's something unnerving about her. Perhaps she's just read too many books. (laughs) Thank you very much. It's been lovely. Okay. Right. So our next performer, uh, you can find her at hannahhutzfah.com, uh, uh, and she's the founder editor of the Whippersnapper Press. Uh, creative writing uh, track, she programs that on the Nine Worlds Geek Fest, and uh, she once was arrested in Starbucks for the crime of dressing as a zombie. So put your hands together for Hannah Hutzfah! Hello, um, I'm afraid. I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm afraid I'm not going to be covering the zom- uh, the the Starbucks zombie thing. But by all means, buy me a pint, and I'll tell you about it later. Um, this first one uh, is called No Little Words. I realised that my career as a poet or as a writer at all has been quite tragic. Every time something good has happened, every time there's been a beginning, say first thing published, first festival gig first time I ran a night myself, there has been an equal and opposite shit thing that's happened that's taken the shine right off it. Um, The first time I ever had a festival gig, some shit on the first night stole my wallet and phone from my tent while I slept. And then I had uh, a fatigue flare-up, which meant that I fell asleep in front of my favourite band. Uh, Just a bit shit. This first one is called No Little Words. I did it at the first ever poetry night I ever ran. Uh, which was a storming success, and it went down really well, and big acts I booked turned up and thought I was a serious human being, and it was amazing. And then I got a text from a friend the very next day going, why did you write that poem about me? Why did you write that poem about me? It took me a minute to work out which one she thought was about her. My girlfriend was there. If she hadn't been out having a fag, she would have known. What? Um, So... In, in the wake of, yay, I ran a poetry night, I actually wound up having awkward coffees with one of my best friends who was tearful and upset with me and thought I'd been airing dirty laundry and, oh, shit, I don't know what's going on here. Um, but this poem is called No Little Words, and this is dedicated to none of you. <laughs> she glances at her watch. Shit, is that the time? She says, I'll have to love you and leave you. She holds my gaze a beat too long. Kisses my cheek, slings her bag, and leaves. Not that I'm counting, but that's the third one this week. And if I'm not imagining it, we've been playing this game for a while, picking up that one word and testing the weight of its one open vowel. Comfortable in the palm of the hand. Nearly on the tongue. She calls me lovey a lot lately. I up the ante with, Moy lover, 
West Country accent added to prove I'm joking. We each test the word's weight while we watch the other's eyes, searching for an answer to that unspoken question. If I wasn't kidding, if this was for real, if I threw this word to you, would you catch it? Or would you flinch? We each feel the moments where it should be. Moments as taut as a drumskin, where anything that lands will resonate, but it doesn't land. It circles above, present in our pauses. My heart looped the loop then howled the day she told me she loved me in that top. So, just so she knows, I love this pub. I love this song. Our mate Joe, I love that guy. But for now, she'll love me and leave me. And when she teases me, God, I love it when she teases me. I'll love you too sarcastically and we'll each watch the other's eyes as we test its weight heavy as marble delicate as an eggshell we are both calculating and we are both cowards Um, this next one is called No Spoons, and it's going to take a little bit of explanation as to what the hell No Spoons means. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I am a spoonie. Um, this is a term used uh, to describe people who have limited energy, whether that's physical health or mental health. Um, personally, I had glandular fever just before I went to university, the summer before I went to university. I'm all ready to get that freedom and be able to go do whatever I want. Holy shit, I can't move. Um, and I spent most of university with post-viral fatigue syndrome where I just, some weeks I'd be fine and some weeks I couldn't go get a pint of milk. Um, and generally, if you haven't been through physical, uh, physical, mental health crap like that, you don't really know what it's like. And so there's this brilliant analogy for what it's like to have limited energy that you have to be very careful with, which is spoony. Uh, there's a woman who has lupus and has a brilliant blog called But You Don't Look Sick. And she was trying to explain to a friend of hers who doesn't have lupus what it feels like to have lupus. And the best she could come out with was they were sat in a diner at the time and she had spoons. She picked up as many spoons as she could from the nearby tables and from the cutlery drawer and asked the kitchen if they had a few more. And she gave her friend this bouquet of spoons and she said, this is your energy for the day. And her friend looked at it and went, okay. She said, everything you do is going to cost you one spoon. So what have you done so far? She went, I came out to see you for lunch. No, no. You got up, one spoon. You had a shower, one spoon. You got dressed, one spoon. How did you come here? The bus? Did you get a seat? No, two spoons. And a friend looked down and went, but, but I've only got five left. It's, it's lunchtime and I've only got five left. That's what it's like. Um, so yes, this poem is called No Spoons and it's addressed to the person who isn't listening when I go, no, I'm tired, I, I need to go. Uh, subtitle, no, I don't need a fucking Red Bull. I hate Red Bull, it tastes of exams and failure and it will not make anything better. <laughs> it's a taste of desperation, I'll stop. Um, it's called No Spoons. This 
is a statement of fact, an admission of defeat. It's not up for debate, something I want to repeat, but I don't have the energy. That is that. No, I can't come for just one. I'd still need to get back, and the journey home's already an odyssey, which will get worse with each hour that weighs on me. Why won't I come for just one? Because I know that you'll bargain me for another, and I'll feel uncool, turning every tempting offer away because my energy isn't rationed from day to day. It's a rollover debt. It runs from week to week, and I'm tired. You're not asking me to stay for one more drink. You're nagging me to have the energy to do that. In short, you're guilting me to be less ill, as if it were a choice. Tonight I will have less fun than you, because I don't have the spoons to attempt the things that you will do. And even that I could just about take, but don't you dare frame this as a choice I make. This is a situation which I negotiate as best I can. When you are ill, you learn that you can't just soldier on. When you are ill, you learn to fear fatigue because it means you're already in your energy overdraft. But the cash point won't print you a receipt, so you've just got to guess at what you've spent. When you are ill, you learn that you don't have the budget to do all the things you want to do. And you try not to be bitter, and you try to learn some acceptance, and you learn to say no because yes isn't an option. So, no, I can't go. It's a statement of fact, an admission of defeat. It's not up for debate, something I want to repeat, but the failure of my health leaves me washed up here. Go on without me. Have a nice night. I'll call you tomorrow. And this final poem is called Tetris as a Relationship Analogy. Um, I installed a Tetris app on my phone uh, just before Christmas, not last year, but the year before, um, and missed five different Christmas movies that I wanted to see because I was just hooked. Um, and that was exactly the time that a number of different exes got in touch from the, oh, hey, how are you doing, to the, what do you want? Um, and I started seeing Tetris and relationships as somehow linked and my friend pointed out that this was ultimately incredibly depressing because you're just killing time until you're fucked. Um, anyway, this is called Tetris as a Relationship Analogy. It goes like this. Three, two, one, go. In the early days, it was easy. We slotted together so perfectly. For my... Oh, shit. Tragic beginning. I forgot to tell you uh, that in Tetris, for those who don't know, because it will be relevant later, all the different shapes have letters. According, uh, they have different names according to their shapes, and they are letters. There's a T, there's a Z, an N, an L, an R, an O, and an I. Starting from the top. Tragic beginnings is all good here. Perfect place to fuck up. I like this. Um, three, two, one... Go. In the early days, it was apparently easy. We slotted together so perfectly. For my every quirk, you had the reverse. Like an enzyme, a key to fit every lock, and together we broke everything down. We erased every block on that screen, and we were free, just you and me. We made space for each other. Friends, who needs them? Jobs, fuck that. Food, maybe later. 
All we needed was each other, and those falling blocks seemed gifted from the heavens. We were on a never-ending winning streak, riding the wave of good fortune, perfect fit after perfect fit, and we laughed wide-eyed that we were getting away with murder. Couldn't believe how many last-minute changes we could make work. We had lazy days on autopilot where everything just went to plan. We didn't even have a plan, but our Zs and Ns stacked to the left and right in neat little piles. Os tessellated into Lego brick walls, then melted away. We were entranced together. And even when you weren't there, those blocks swam before my eyes while that tune hummed around and around. And I've heard you can actually win at this game. That with a high enough score, a rocket appears and you fly off into happily ever after. And I don't know if that's true or not. I've only heard rumors and fairy tales. But I just know if I ever could win, it would be this game with you. But then we hit pause just for a minute. Some real life stuff got in the way. When we came back, nothing was the same. It started with one little gap. I'd said L. You could have matched my L. You act soppier than me, and you're leaving a two-block gap here. Would it really kill you to say you L me too? And it wasn't great, but we'd fix it later. But that later never came. We stacked our tetraminos around it higher and higher, but the gaps grew with every layer. Seriously, what were you thinking leaving that tea there? Or leaving your Top Gear magazines and socks all over my floor? You were all Zs and Ns misaligned, and I was waiting for the I. I'd lost where I fit in. Seriously, where the hell is that I? It would fix everything. But now the world is piling in on us, and there isn't time to turn around. You know, we don't get away with murder anymore. We don't get away with anything. What's that face supposed to mean? No, I'm not being oversensitive. You're being an ass. And now the blocks are falling too fast, and there isn't even time to turn around. There isn't even time to roll your eyes because we're moving faster and faster in split seconds until we have no moves left. As the final Tetraminos in Tumar screen, for you and me, it's game over. We had a good run. Thank you. Okay, so our next uh, performer is, uh, well, she has a podcast called Odd Ones Out. Uh, she presents and produces Residence 104.4 FM's LGBT show out in South London, uh, which is, goes out every Tuesday at 6.30. You can find her at www.rosiewilby.com. And she has a show called 90s Woman that's coming up on the 25th of February at Rich Mix London at 7.30pm. So put your hands together for Rosie Wilby, everybody! Hooray! Oh, Happy New Year, everybody. Or, or is it? Or is it? Because I want to take you back to New Year a few years ago. When there was a chill wind blowing. Be the chill wind. Yes, very good. And uh, it was so cold, in fact, that there were icicles. Icicles. There were icicles everywhere, even hanging from my own arm, because the heating had broken in my flat. And it was very, very cold. I even made a snow lesbian. Yes, it was actually just like a snowman, but I did get funding from the council. So that, that was good. 
And what happened on this particular New Year was my girlfriend of five years, five years, broke up with me. Thank you. Yeah, boo, yes, yes, thank you for the booing over there, yes. And, no, it was, it was terrible, uh, really, because, you know, it's a terrible time of year, isn't it, January, to suddenly find yourself single, because nobody, you know, February's just around the corner, isn't it? Nobody wants to be alone on Shrove Tuesday. <laughs> Pancake making can be a very lonely business, <laughs> can't it? And it's very hard as a gay woman to meet somebody new. We don't have... Gay men have this app on their iPhones called Grindr. I don't know if you've heard of this or anyone's got it on. The women are nodding. I don't understand why. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, that's like a radar for the nearest gay man, isn't it? And they tried to invent one for lesbians, but it didn't catch on. I logged on. It said, hello, Rosie. Your nearest lesbian is in New Zealand. So, so that didn't catch on. And I thought, well, you know, it's a shame. My girlfriend was, was quite good in a lot of ways, especially because she was a bit taller than me, a bit heavier than me. And if we went camping and shared an airbed, she squished all the air into my side. <laughs> and I was, I was really comfy. <laughs> so she was, she was perfect, just in that one way. <laughs> just in that one way. And I thought, actually... You know, if that's the only thing I can think of why she was perfect, then I'm not that disappointed, actually. And, and you know what? I, I thought about it, and the disappointment I felt was really, when it came down to it, it was a bit like the disappointment you feel when you come to the end of one of those moving walkways at the airport. <laughs> and, you know, there is a little part of you, isn't that sort of goes, huh. And there's a little sense of disappointment, but it's, it's, not, it's not much. But, you know, I should have known about this impending breakup. You should, you, there are signs, aren't there? You don't pick up on them at the time, but um, especially the, the post-Christmas breakup, because they don't break up with you at Christmas. That's too cruel. That's too cruel, isn't it? It's much kinder, isn't it, to do it on their first day back at work <laughs> when they're surrounded by people they hate and distrust. Uh, yeah. They have to keep it together in front of. Why not get them sacked as well? Yes. Uh, no, that's much kinder. Much, much kinder. Um, so, no, they don't break up for you at Christmas, but they get you a nice Christmas present, a much nicer Christmas present than usual. It's suspicious, isn't it? It's a guilt present. My girlfriend, she got me a flat in Inverness. <laughs> and I should have known as well, because um, it's actually one of the peak breakup times throughout the year. I've got the graph here. Peak breakup times, according to Facebook status updates. <laughs> Someone has actually compiled a graph of this. <laughs> Not, not me. And it was an on, on a website called informationisbeautiful.net. I've qualified that and put some informationisbeautiful.net. Um, I'll tell you, some of the other peaks of breakup times throughout the year are uh, April Fool's Day. That's particularly cruel, isn't it? You wouldn't know, would you? Is it a joke? Oh, no, they're serious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I actually came out to my parents on April Fool's Day. <laughs> Thought I'd have a good get-out if they didn't like it. <laughs> Turns out they did. They were excited. and Like, oh, our daughter's done something interesting. I was the one who was all inhibited, didn't want everyone knowing. But they started going around telling all the neighbours, handing out flyers, printing up T-shirts, trying to get us all on Kilroy. My mum tried to tell me something about her and her friend Joan on holiday. <laughs> Which uh, I didn't want to hear, it was disgusting. <laughs> and other, other times that apparently we break up are um, spring break, Easter holiday, summer holiday, 
Um, any, in fact, any holiday times. In fact, any time when you spend time with your partner. Uh, which is worrying, isn't it? So any time you find out what kind of person they actually are, um, that is when you, you actually break up. So it's not very good. I, I'm quite worried, actually, this new year, because a friend of mine gave me a calendar which mysteriously ended in May. I thought, does she know something that I don't? When it gets to May, I should be very paranoid. I'll be looking over my shoulder. And, but it's going to be a lucky year, this one, 2014, because there was only one Friday the 13th. Less than usual, yes, absolutely true. My friend told me this, because she needs to know that sort of thing for her work, because she is, is a witch. <laughs> and uh, other things that we do at New Year, because um, we try to make a new start, don't we? We try and get fit and go to the gym, don't we? I don't go there, um, actually, to do exercise, because I find that quite dull. Um, but what I do, I do go there to try and make friends. And um, what you can do is you, you can play my little gym game, where what you do is you crouch and hide in one of the little lockers in the changing room. <laughs> don't do a poo, that'd be weird. And then, I don't even know why I say that. And then when somebody opens the little door, just say, you own me now. And pop out like a little locker goblin. I only do that if your gym membership is about to expire. You might get banned. And we also try to eat healthy shit um, at the beginning of the year, don't we, as well? You, you, you wouldn't eat what I, I found myself trying just for an experiment, for a nostalgic experiment. Um, at the end of last year, I tried one of these things. What is that? What's that pot noodle? Oh, someone's booing, yeah. I know, I used to eat them many years ago as a student, and I, I, was, um, I was feeling rather hungry after a gig one late evening. I only had in a meringue nest and a tin of sweet corn. And I thought, well, what, what can I do with that? So I ended up going to the shop and buying this thing. But what tickled me, the real reason I bought it, was the cooking instructions. And they're actually, um, they're actually more sophisticated than you might think, and obviously aimed at a demographic that I no longer belong to. And number one, rip off lid. Rip off lid. It's quite aggressive food preparation, this, isn't it? None of this sort of very polite kind of remove plastic lid that you get in waitress. No, rip off the lid, rip off the lid. Whip out the sachet, whip out the sachet. That's quite sexual, isn't it? Whip out the sachet, whip out the sachet. Add boiling water, leave alone for two minutes while you go and take crack. <laughs> Nigella recipe. No, no. No, it's, I didn't, it doesn't say that. I just had to Stir, leave alone for two minutes. Stir again. And my favourite part, find the sachet. <laughs> find the sachet. What kind of state would you have to be in to not know where a sachet that was in your own hand a mere four minutes and two stairs ago is gone? Did you whip it out so vigorously it's fallen behind the bookcase? Then grab fork, I think they missed out, wash up fork, <laughs> and dig in <laughs> for a tasty treat. Now, <laughs> food actually plays an important part in relationships as well, you know, because um, if you um, cook for each other, you find yourself saying all these things, don't you, like sort of, mmm, um, mmm, you know, at the beginning of the relationship, you're all polite about their cooking, aren't you? You're like, mmm, 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 I love the peppery taste of rocket. 
Even if you don't, well, you made rod for your own back, haven't you? It'll always be rocket, and it becomes harder and harder to introduce a new salad leaf into the relationship than it does to talk about sex toys and all the things you don't talk about, like the fact their cooking's gone downhill. At the beginning, a la carte, two years in beans on toast, three years in a plate of worms, and you still say, mmm, mmm. You start to wonder, don't you? You start to wonder if there's a point to it all. A bit like when Grandma used to try and teach the whole family a new card game on holiday and be sitting around the table, passing cards to the right, 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 and there was no game. There was no game. But you were young, you still believed in grandma, but growing up knew better. Your mum would tell you to go upstairs and get your guitar and play Streets of London smooth over the awkward silence. Now, I'm just going to finish off with a tragic poem um, that actually popped through my door at Christmas time in, in the Peckham Rye Safer Neighbourhoods team newsletter, which I don't know why it came through my door, because I live in East Dulwich, which is the better. And there was a lovely poem that was sent in by a local resident about drinking and driving at Christmas. Are you ready? I don't know why he said, are you ready? Last time someone said that to me, they're about to go down on me. But, uh, don't think about that. Don't drink and drive. It's so much nicer to be alive. If you want to enjoy the festive season, forget your car for a very good reason. <laughs> Remember your loved ones waiting at home. They don't wish to spend Xmas alone. They'd much rather have you home with them to enjoy the Xmas fun than to have the sad news that you've been found dead in a wrecked car. We shouldn't laugh there, should we? Because there was a serious message there, wasn't there? It is, don't write poetry. I... <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I've been Rosie Wilby. Do find me online and stalk me. It'd be marvellous. Uh, thank you very much. Okay, so now we have our last tragedy of the evening. Uh, he's a return performer. We absolutely love him at Stand Up Tragedy. You should buy his music. It's uh, at the uh, back table, as, as is uh, some flyers from other people and, and some other things that you should definitely look through, like our, you should buy our fanzines, for example. Uh, and put your hands together for Jay Foreman, everybody! Thank you. Hello. Hello. How are we all? Are we well? That's the wrong attitude. <laughs> so um, give me a cheer if you've had a productive week. Yeah. yeah, there was a very loud yeah from over there. Who was that? Me. Hello. What was, what's your name? Right. Tell us all about what you did this week for about 10 seconds while I plug in. Go. Really? That's very interesting. <laughs> okay. Well, we're in business now. We'll begin. Now, um, tragic beginnings is the theme, and um, well, where better to begin than a birth? Uh, give, me a, give me a cheer. Any parents in the room? Have you got any parents in? <laughs> that, 
that was amazing because you just did a woo as if to say, pick me, I'm never so proud. And then a second later, you're doing this. Are your... Well, that's a... Well, are your offspring in the room? No. Oh, right, well. Anyway, this is for all of the parents in the room, which I think is, is just you. Um, this is a song about the moment when you realise you've become a parent for the first time and how horrifying that is. Japanese baby What have you done to me My life will be so complicated Now you have come to be My wife went not so long ago On a business trip to Tokyo And came home with a nervous looking The time she said we'd have a kid I completely forgot about what she did And thought I was your daddy for a while Little Japanese baby You look nothing like me my friends are going to point and laugh Now you have come to be You probably should be really glad That you never met your real dad Cause I bet he was an evil nasty man Now don't be too demanding please Cause I'm afraid I don't speak Japanese But I'll bring you up the very best I can Little Japanese baby Little Japanese baby Little Japanese baby Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, my next song, my next song is one that concerns again childhood. Um, I want to, before I play the next song, I just want to check that I'm not the only person in the room who suffers from a phobia. If you have a phobia of anything at all, give me a cheer. That was a very, uh, a very pleased to offer yourself up for. What's, what's your name? Nicole. Nicole. What's your phobia? Shut. See, that, that's um, quite an easy-to-deal-with one, because you're not going to run into sharks in your day-to-day -day life. Although, does this include if you see them on TV? Baths? What kind of... Oh, wait. <laughs> Keep going, I'm still not in tune. Well, is this based on a childhood trauma that set it off? I mean, do you want to talk about it? 
I mean, I don't really have time. But basically, if, um, if you're the same as us, if you have a phobia, mine is a very unusual one, and it's all um, because of a childhood trauma that set it off. So what I'd like to do, ladies and gentlemen, is share with you the genuinely true story of uh, how I came about this, this phobia that I have. the sooty show my parents took me nearly every Christmas we'd been going three years in a row but this time was different cause something happened that made me never go again in the interval they ran a competition and somebody read out my name I was going on stage to meet my favourite bear Sooty Sweep and Sue and Matthew Corbett were there I remember clearly standing with my parents on stage and waiting in a queue Not quite believing how cool it was to meet the real Sooty Sweep and Sue I reached the front and he was waving at me So yellow, cute and lovable Poor Matthew Corbett, he tried to stop me But Sooty looked so huggable I ran out and grabbed and squeezed my favourite bear How was I to know that I'd feel fingers in there? Human hand, a human hand. Ah! Ah! If you die whilst we're having sex perchance I'll finish myself off before I call the ambulance <laughs> Years ago back when I was a teacher I was teaching my class about light Infrared on the left of the spectrum Through to ultraviolet on the right I showed them the primary colours And drew circles of blue, green and red I explained that each shade had its own frequency And the pupils wrote down what I said While the class settled down to their homework one curious boy raised his hand He looked troubled with eyes open wide So I asked, is there something you don't understand? Does that mean that there are no more colours? Does that mean that I've seen everyone? 
I'd hoped one day to find shapes to just blow my mind But I'll never have that kind of fun If there really aren't any more colours And there'll never be new ones to see All this time it would seem it was pointless to dream And the world seems less colourful to me Well I just didn't know what to tell him As he stared at me expectantly Did he know that I felt just the same way as him The day my science teacher told me It's not true that there are no more colours It's not true that you've seen every shade All the reds and the greens and the vast in-betweens Can be blended in endless new ways There's an infinite number of colours That can shock and delight and surprise You can have any shade when you know how it's made And it's only a trick of the eyes Thank you. Now, um... That last song there, when I wrote that, I, I genuinely thought, oh, this is going to be a great one. This is going to be the most miserable song I'd ever written. And then, quite by accident, about two-thirds of the way through writing the song, I came up with that happy ending. And I'm really annoyed, because that wasn't what I meant to do. So what I'm going to do now is undo the damage I've done and sing uh, a song that is, um, remains the most miserable one I've ever written. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, my song uh, about happiness. Give me a cheer if you think you're happy. Uh, uh, uh. I'll ask you again in a couple of minutes. <laughs> this is my last song, by the way, so I'm going to take the opportunity now to say thanks very much for having me down, and um, please buy my merchandise. I've got an album, which is uh, all the songs from tonight, plus loads more I didn't have time for. It, thank you. You get 20 songs for £5. If you think 20 songs for £5 is good value for a CD, make some noise! <laughs> Oh, wow, thank you. You all said yes. Anyway, um, this is the last song, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. <clears throat> bloody hell. Bloody hell, the world is awful. Well, there's killing and starvation and injustice and religion everywhere. Everything, everything is looking dreary. There's too many people in the world and far too much pollution in the air. Everything I used to love has turned to shit All the world's gone bankrupt now And it doesn't look like things can soon improve I'm noticeably older than I was Definitely fatter just because I no longer feel the need to move Well, what do you do when the world around you Makes you so depressed? What do you do when you've lost the motivation To get dressed? Pretend that you are happy and smile when you're feeling blue If you pretend you're happy, you'll start to believe it's true It's better to fake a smile than fill the world with woe So just pretend you're happy and nobody will know
Bloody hell, bloody hell, the world is scary. Cause there's nothing but corruption and destruction and reality TV. Every day, every day I slowly realize Every single thing I used to know and trust is run by people just like me. One at a time I'm losing touch with my former friends And lately it seems I never ring the contacts in my phone Every time I breathe it could be my last breath And I'm getting closer to my death For which I will probably be alone Well, what do you do when the word... Oh, ah, ah, forgotten the word What do you do when you've lost all the ambitions you once had? What do you do when the slightest inconvenience makes you sad? Pretend that you are happy and smile when you're feeling down If your friends think you're happy, they'll still want you around You'll realise it's important to be glad with what you've got so just pretend you're happy and shut up if you're not Pretend that you are happy and smile when you're feeling blue If you pretend you're happy, you'll start to believe it's true It's better to fake a smile than fill the world with woe So just pretend you're happy and nobody will know Thank you very much. My name is Jay Foreman. I'll see you soon. Good night. So we come to the end of the beginning. Uh, a much lighter night tonight than, than certainly than Tragic Christmas. That was dark as fuck. Uh, <laughs> So there we go. Um, so you can find Stand Up Tragedy at standuptragedy.co.uk. Uh, we're Stand Up for Tragedy on Twitter. We're on Facebook, as I said. Our podcast comes out pretty much weekly. Uh, the first of these ones will be out next Friday. Uh, the next night is on the 13th of February at the Dog Star, where we're exploring tragic love. We've got an amazing lineup that night. Sarah Pascoe, uh, Nish Kumar, Debris Stevenson, a film by Ben Target, and so much more. So get yourselves along to that. Buy our fanzine, buy our merch, uh, other people's merch, in fact, not even ours. Um, and have a really lovely rest of the evening, because we've got this bar for a bit, so you don't have to rush off. Uh, there'll be a Tragic Beginnings playlist. Get drunk, stay warm, see you later. Time to go. to really explore the Tragic Beginnings experience with a podcast put together by Brian Hawkins, Stand Up Tragedies podcast producer. Our website is www.standuptragedy.co.uk. 
and we're back with another live night of Tragic Variety on the 13th of February, where we'll be exploring tragic love at the Dogstar in Brixton. Share your tragedies with us on Twitter using the hashtag TragicLove. And for now, the tragedy is over. This podcast was produced by Stephen Harvey with music from Samuel Kinsinger.